This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Awesome Woodies. Awesome Woodies are the original portable hangboard company made by hand here in Australia. They were making these boards years before anyone else. Maybe you've seen their boards hanging off a cliff or a tree at your local crag. They're everywhere. And do you know why? Because they work. Nothing else is going to get you warmed up for your project like the cliff board will. No more shall you pull onto your project with unrecruited fingers. No more shall you burn precious skin doing extra warm-ups. The Awesome Woody's cliff boards are here for you. They love you and want you to be ready for a full day of awesomeness. Their cliff boards still lead the way with quality, durability and functionality. Plus they weigh almost nothing. Take the cliff board Petite for example, one I personally designed with the team. It weighs 280 grams. Mate, my Vegemite sandwich nearly weighs more than that. The cliff boards are also great if you don't have the ability to have a proper hangboard set up at your home. If you do have space for a fixed hangboard or campus board though, Awesome Woodies have got you covered. The Homeboy hangboard is the boss. The wood edges on this board are super comfortable to spend a lot of time hanging from, even when you've trashed yourself all weekend at the crag. Awesome Woodies can also cover your campus board with all the grips you need. Campus rungs in four different sizes, sloper rails and half balls. Everything is there for you to power up. Now for those of you into a minimal aesthetic or just like boning down, Awesome Woodies have got edgies. Pairs of 6, 8 and 10 mil edges made out of premium Tassie oak, which is sourced from sustainable plantations. So not only do these edges look the goods, they are doing good. In fact, all the Awesome Woodies products are made from sustainably sourced timber. Their commitment to the environment and quality really sets these guys apart from the rest. So head to awesomewoodies.com, chuck in Baffle Days at checkout for 15% off your next piece of game-changing equipment. G'day everyone and welcome to the Baffle Days podcast. I'm your host, Tom O'Halloran. Today's episode is with Steve Bechtel, one of my most favorite people in the whole world. Steve is the founder of Climbstrong and he's a climber for more than 30 years and established over 300 new routes across the globe, from big wall free climbs to 25-foot sport routes in his home crag near Lander, Wyoming. An exercise science graduate of the University of Wyoming, Steve has been studying and experimenting with climbing training methods since his teens. After spending a few years as a full-time climber, Steve opened Elemental Performance and Fitness in 2002, and Elemental is a full-service gym in Lander, but was built around the training needs of high-level climbers. One of the things I love about Steve is his ability to boil down the science into lay terms and give practical advice on how to apply it in your life. To me, that's the hallmark of a great coach. Steve's new book, Metal, was the catalyst for this chat. Uh, The book digs into the philosophical side of climbing and those softer skills which are so easily forgotten or overshadowed by just going hard on strength. In this chat, we also dive into our approach to goals and the journey to them, openness to new ideas, the evolution of training protocols, and the big mistake many people make in their endurance training. Also, no hangs. Are they legit? And what are they even? We do have Steve's new book in stock at baffledays.com.au, link in the show notes, along with a couple of Steve's other awesome books, Unstoppable Force and Logical Progression 2. 
We also have copies of The Hard Truth by Chris Hampton, aka Power Company Climbing. And we also have Beastmaking, A Finger's First Approach to Becoming a Better Climber, a book written by Mr. Beastmaker himself, Ned Fahali, one of the co-founders of Beastmaker, and it's an absolute ripper read. I've also been working on a little side project product, which is now live on the store as well. Take a look, and if you think it's something which may be useful for you or someone you know, I think they're pretty cool and an environmentally friendly alternative to the single-use version of what's already out there. Grab one or a couple and let me know what you think. Uh, it could be an easy Christmas gift. <laughs> Far out. We're already saying that word. A quick reminder too that the Performance Climbing Coach online course is kicking off soon. This event is the brainchild of Steve and Tyler Nelson. They have a huge number of presenters all there to teach you more about coaching and becoming a better climber. Yes, it is trying to help educate coaches, but I have done it in the last couple of years and even just as a climber interested in learning more about training and performance, it is hugely beneficial. Presenters include Steve, Tyler, our very own Amanda Watts, Mercedes Palmer, Dr. Jared Vagey, Hazel Finlay, Eric Horst, and so many more. Essentially, all the presenters have made a presentation full of info for you to study and digest. Then during the week of December 5th, 2022, registered attendees may join in for a handful of two-hour Zoom meetings to have all of your questions answered by the experts. One to two instructors will be on each Zoom call. Choose which ones you'd like to attend live, plus get all recorded calls emailed right to your inbox. Registration is now open and courses will go live on the 14th of November 2022. And you'll have access to all the courses for six months, which takes you up to the 14th of May 2023. Seriously, it is so worth it. Link in the description. But let's get back on track, back to today's chat with Steve. We kick off our chat comparing cult diets to Olympians training programs and the soft skills in climbing. Enjoy. I just finished reading a book um, called Diet Cults by a guy named Matt Fitzgerald. And you're probably familiar with it, but he, he reviews not necessarily the diets themselves, but the the mentality around um, people who choose to become, um, you know, a practitioner of a, of a particular diet doctrine, and how how really it is more of a cult behavior, and it's it's this need to buy in and to belong, and and so it was really fascinating for me to look at that, especially in terms of what you've taught me about best practices and the conservative approach and looking at the long term um, when when it comes to nutrition and and it's, it does uh, go right back into what we what we talk about with training which is training like well here's the really fascinating thing we can go back and we can look at the olympics last um last august um and there were is it 20 uh athletes that were competing for men and women Mm. Um, I can't remember. I think it was something like that. Um, So every one of those people had a different approach to preparation for the games, but all of them were able to go to the games and perform at a super high level. And 
really what I believe is that physically the stuff that we train, there weren't a lot of huge differences. It wasn't like one of the athletes was twice as strong as, as, as another really most of our preparation, most of our training, the stuff we do day to day in the gym, um, is, is only a small part of overall performance. And what really is the big part of overall performance, you know, happens up in your brain, happens in your ability to acquire and read um, skill. Um, and so I, as much as I do love the idea of getting stronger fingers, very rarely if, if we do a true assessment of, a, of an athlete's performance, was it that their fingers weren't quite strong enough. It's almost always that just turns up as one of the things that, that um you know, might've been, might've been part of the situation. And so we're really trying to look at an integrative approach to training where you're not so focused on the physical side of it and really trying to make these assessments of like, what's, what's causing me to fail on this route. I had a moment, we've just been on a bouldering trip to the Grampians and I was trying this V10 called the Viking with a friend of mine, who's um, yeah, a great little strong boulderer. And I had, um, we had two days figuring out the sequences and working out how to do it. And if I'm, if I'm honest and verbalized the dialogue in my head, it was like, am I strong enough for this? I can get these moves done. Am I strong enough for the crux move? It, I wasn't, I didn't approach the problem thinking, yeah, I'm all over this. I'm definitely going to do it. I was um, coaching myself into it the whole time. And on um, the end of the second day, a bunch of guys were trying it and we were, had waited for the sun to go and were potentially going to have a second afternoon session on it in the shade. And I was in, my runners are in bare feet and I just pulled into this particular position with no climbing shoes on or runners on, whatever I had on, and felt weightless. Like I felt light and stronger than I had felt every time compared with every time I'd tried it with climbing shoes on and boulder pads set up. And it was this moment in my head where I went, what the heck? You know, that that move just felt so easy and I didn't, wasn't equipped at all in the way I should have been. Totally just a mental a mental shift. There was no pressure. You know, there are a few people around. Yeah. I, I kind of didn't think that anyone expected me to be able to even pull on into that position because I didn't have climbing shoes on. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a really tricky thing to train, I think. It is. And, and part of, part of it is, is reflection and, and being able to, to reflect honestly, and then to also look for and accept feedback. And one of, one of the things that that's super easy for us is to say, oh, my, my strength is here. My, I can hang a 12 millimeter edge for 20 seconds, you know, one arm or what, whatever it is. Um, and, and that's very tangible. And we know how to scoot that ball forward. Almost everybody has the capability of understanding the way that physical overload and adaptation works. The problem is when you get up there and you start to be afraid of a fall on a, on a climb, um, your, your physical strength and endurance matters very, very little when we get into a panic situation. Um, they, they do some really interesting research on fight or flight response and, and the, the resultant physical um, problems with that. Like your endurance drops out the bottom. You have no, and this is like, like trying to run, let alone trying to hang, you know, hang on by your fingertips. Um, and so your endurance goes away. Your, your ability to make rational decisions goes away. Your respiratory rate changes to where you are, you know, breathing this really shallow, frequent breath. And so at that point, 
there's no amount of time on your tread wall at the gym that's going to make up for that that problem. And so then it becomes this this conversation with a professional, um, self reflection. Maybe you're doing some sort of um, you know fall training or getting used to leading on easier things. But but the the easy answer is almost always the physical uh, one. But almost every time. Um, when we, if we were to compare three climbers that did the best in the world cups, they, they wouldn't show up as super physically strong compared to the people that didn't do well in the world cups. Um, same thing, like some of the, the best climbers in the world, the nine, a nine, a plus climbers aren't going to be the strongest ones in their peer group or in the gym that they train in. And so we really need to encourage climbers to look a little more holistically at their, at their preparation in that regard. Yeah, I, I was chatting with Lee Cossey in the car yesterday when we were driving down to Bungonia for a bouldering day and we we're talking about Adam Ondra and basically how weak he is, which will sound funny for people to hear, but like you, you watch him train and do stuff on a campus board and a fingerboard and all that. Like he's so incredibly weak when you compare him to other people that you see training, like even just locally. Like there's people that can mm-hmm. just smash out stuff on the campus board and the hangboard and all of that. And yet he, he does outperform basically everyone in the world in every discipline because of the things that he's doing that aren't as tangible. Yeah. And I think for people yeah. that people at home that are shaking their head and thinking, nah, I disagree. Think about the people you see on Instagram that can add weight hanging onto a six mil edge or one arm hang a six mil edge on a hangboard and then look at what they can boulder and what they can climb yeah. compared with somebody that can't. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, in, in professional sports, one of, one of my favorite sports to pay attention to is, is professional basketball here in the U S the professional basketball season is really long. They play for eight months. And so we, you know, one of the things I was interested in is how do those athletes perform well across a season that, that that's that long. Um, and they, re- they truly recognize the power of building a good base of strength and conditioning, but they play three games a week and they p- travel all over the country, usually by air. And so their training has to fit within between these games between all of this travel, um, and what you know, what are we looking at there when when we're comparing the basketball players? Is it the basketball player that has the highest vertical jump? Is it the one that has the best free throw percentage? Is it the one that has the strongest deadlift or squat? You know, those numbers don't line up with overall performance. Um, very much like pro cycling, you could look at the finishers in the Tour de France. They um, will have higher than average VO2 max scores, their ability to, to process and use oxygen, but it's not lined up by, well, the guy with the highest VO2 max took first, the guy with the second highest took second. It isn't anywhere close to that. It's all over the place because there's more than one factor there. And so, yeah, we can have some really strong fingers out there, but really frequently, it's like you said, Tom, the, um, the high technique climber tends to be the one that can send and put things together, you know, good tactics, Mm. good technique, good mental game. Do do you feel like 
that was an I that was what you subscribed to in the beginning when you first got into climbing and training and you know the exercise physiology kind of stuff like did you no um not at all i was like oh man i can i'm gonna get well and and what happens that's really interesting is you do a little bit of training and you get noticeably stronger right because you you basically are untrained and then i remember getting to where i could i could hang on the edge of the doorway in my bedroom as a, as a when i was in high school and i was like whoa and then i could start to do pull-ups on there and i was i got to where i could do like five pull-ups and then 10 and i thought oh man like as soon as i can do like 30 of these i can climb anything but mm -hmm. if if my ability to use my legs to hold positions to control fatigue um to you know manage uh, high arousal levels don't keep developing um, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to do that. And it's like Amanda said, there are a lot of people that I've never heard of that can hang on off a six mil edge. Um, but I've definitely heard of Adamandra, right? Um, and so when, when I, as my climbing developed as, as my own climbing and my coaching developed, um, we started to recognize that there are these limits. You get this, um, diminishing returns from your training, almost every aspect of your training, will start off and improve rapidly and then it levels off and levels off and eventually it, it you can double the amount of effort you put into it and your results are half what they were before you could double your effort again and get half the results again and so we need to go back and look at all of those facets of our preparation and say where am i weak and i've climbed for 35 years now and and i'm now starting to go back into that as I'm getting physically weaker, like, where can I, where can I improve? What can I do better to try to, you know, keep my level or to try to push, you know, up to one, one last higher level again, you know? Um, and, and I think that it, it's a mistake to just chase physical training. Um, it's, it's critically important, but it's not the, it's not the whole story. I think one of the things that makes it tricky for people to chase the other types of training is they don't know how to do it. Like, you know, I remember back in probably it was 1996 or 97, maybe 98, um, I was working at a climbing gym and teaching technique training nights. And, you know, that some of the simple things that we were teaching people was like the triangle. You know, you put them on a 45-degree wall, they're weak because they've only started climbing and usually they're on vertical walls teach them how to place their feet so they're like a tripod and, um, and you know, to reach through how they can use their bodies. They're not opening their body up and they're closing their body when they're moving. And it was revolutionary for them. But I think um, we've got the evolution of climbing gyms that have got a lot of comp style boulders now, which, which changes, I think, the basic movement patterns of people coming through in some ways. And then you've also got this really big training push and um, push in science where we know so much more about training metrics that means that people fixate on the, um, the one-arm hang and deadlifts and, um, you know, strength gains. And it's just not as easy to go, okay, my training program for my mental stuff is that before every training session, I'm going to reflect on what it is that I feel like I need to work on. I'm going to read through the notes of the feedback I got from some people and then at the end of my session, I'm going to reflect on what felt good and what did work and what didn't work. I'm going to film myself and watch the difference between movement patterns. You know, that stuff's not so easy to write down and tick boxes for, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely um, a lot softer, you know, when you're dealing with emotional stuff with, um, you know, when when you're looking at physical training, you're like, do I need to be stronger, more powerful, more endurance, more flexible? You know, they're all very simple. Like it's not easy to build endurance, but it's very simple. Like you, you know, you can you do these workouts every, you know, three days and all of a sudden you can hang on longer. But when you look at the technical side of climbing, you can maybe divide that into positioning, momentum, movement, like how, how am I, how am I in relation to the rock? Or like, the, I think that the, the new comp style boulders are so cool because they really push the limits of our ability to generate momentum and build good position. Um, and that applies, you know, like everybody's like, oh, it doesn't apply directly to rock, but it does apply to our ability to open up our mind and learn to move better because the opposite direction of that is the fixed boards, like the moon board, the kilter board, where it's, it's a fixed plane, you know, the, the movement on those is actually quite simple. Um, and so it's the contact that's difficult. It appeals very much to our sense of, I want to get stronger and be better at this type of movement, but it doesn't really teach us great movement. Um, and so then when, then, you know, that third component, if we said we have a physical and a technical component of climbing, a third component would be that mental component, which is emotional and cognitive and tactical stuff where you, it, it, that's a lot harder to, to pick out and train. And there's a couple of things there. One is reflection after training or reflection during training. One of the things to tell when you have done something that has pushed you is when you get done with a boulder problem or a set of weight exercises or, um, you know, whatever, a, a hang on the hangboard, and you're really proud of it. You get done with it and you're like, oh man, I feel great about that. Or I did a long jump at the end of this boulder and I was scared, but I went for it anyway. Those sorts of things, or at the crag, it's true too. Like very often I'll go to the crag and you'll see people that, you know, they talk a big game or they think a big game on their way up there. But then when it comes down to it, they're like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to just do the 25 that I've got wired and burn out on it and get some endurance laps in. But, but what that athlete needs to do is get on something that pushes them that after that attempt, they come down, they're like, man, I'm really proud of myself for having tried that. And then in your training log, instead of just writing down all of the grades that you did or, or the names of the routes, should put like a star or a check mark or something that says I'm proud of the effort that I actually stretched and pushed myself there. Um, the other part of that is, is to get feedback from your friends and not like, you know, you gotta, you gotta say, lay it out ahead of time. Be like, man, be really honest with me. Um, it's not going to kill me, but I need you to tell me straight out, like, what do you see when I'm climbing up there? And that sort of thing can be, again, if you can accept it, um, it can be the most developmental thing that you do in your climbing training. Yeah, that that feedback is huge. I had a, a chat with a group of friends a little while ago about that, where we basically sat down and had that, okay, we're all going to be open. We're all going to be accepting of what, you know, the feedback coming in. It's confronting, hey. Some of the feedback I got was that my attitude towards strength training, like I, I tell myself this narrative that I'm weak. They're like, oh, I'm weak. I'm too weak for that. I'm too weak for that. And so, you know, then I go into a fingerboard session 
and see myself as being a weak fingerboarder and terrible mm-hmm. at it, you know, because I can't do those one arm hangs that everyone else can do. Getting that feedback was really quite confronting because I didn't see it as like a crutch that I was leaning on or, you know, whatever the right kind of phrasing is and really powerful. And, and it's made a really big impact on my climbing that I, I just didn't realize was lacking because yeah, sometimes that stuff isn't obvious to you. Yeah. One, one of the great opportunities that I have in my career is I, I work with a guy named Alex Bridgewater and he's a uh, sports science graduate student. And he always comes to us with all these really great um, tools to use when we're coaching our athletes. And like every, once a month, I'll, I'll get a whole new set of like, you know, dialogue prompts. But one of the things I thought was really fascinating, Tom, was, you know, you're, you're talking about your, oh, you're a weak fingerboard or you're, you know, you're not good at strength. This, this self-talk, one of the things when you're talking to yourself is to stop and say, would I talk this way to Amanda? Would I talk this way to one of my best friends? Like, Amanda, you're so weak. Your fingerboard mm-hmm. sucks. I don't even know why you're doing this. No, of course you wouldn't. And so if you can treat yourself just with the same respect you would treat a good friend or your partner, um, all of a sudden you're able to take that, you know, and say like, you know what, you're not the strongest on this, but I know that you can be better. Um, how would I, how would I say this to someone else? You know, mm. I recognize this problem, but, but reframe it so it can be more positive. And, and that's a, it's a super powerful tool if you can get there. But that, but that, um, that sort of thing, like, what am I proud of? What are the things that keep coming up for me? What do I avoid? Um, a, a lot of people love physical assessment. Like, oh, I want to test myself on, on the, this um, 20 millimeter edge and then compare myself to one of these big databases and see if, you know, you know and you're going to get one of two pieces of feedback. One, like, man, you're super duper strong. Why don't you climb 8A? Or you're like super duper weak. Why in the world can you climb 9A? You know, and both of those feedbacks um, kind of work against us as athletes. And so I think one of the great things to do would be to say, what, what's the realm in which I want to perform? You know, is it bouldering? Is it sport routes? Is it trad routes? Um, and within that realm, what, what, do my, what do my performances look like? So if I'm a sport climber, um, how well do I climb on limestone? What, what do I on-site in limestone? How do I do on big overhanging pumpy routes? How do I do on powerful routes? And you can start to make a big chart of all of these different styles of climbing and how you perform there. And there's going to be one that shows up and it's like, man, you suck at slab climbing. You are, you're way off these other ones. And at that point, you're like, aha, here's, here's a way that I can move myself forward. Or I'm not good at stamina type climbing, or I'm not good at reading cryptic uh, sequences, but it starts to give you um, tools that you can move forward with, but you've also got to be willing to accept the, you know, the job ahead of you. Like, man, you need to climb more vertical stone and you're just, you know, love hanging out in these big caves, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot there, but I think that, I think it's important for athletes as they develop to understand that. We, we can tap out that physical capability or get very, very close to our physical limits pretty quick. Um, and then like for me, the number one reason that we have people train strength 
like weight training or supplementals training in a gym is to prevent injury and then and just lay down this foundation there's no like man if i get strong enough at squatting it's going to move my my red point grade up really what we're trying to do is just create more great opportunities what i want is for you in any given one month period or six month period to have just a few more great opportunities for high level performance outside there's no like shortcutting it in the gym it's just keeping you from you know getting overuse uh, injuries or getting uh overtrained so yeah yeah i think that's awesome and i think um just just to um clarify a little bit more about that um the way you talk to yourself because this is something i see in my job so much as a, a dietitian and sports dietitian you know, I say to, particularly to women I work with, actually there's a lot of men coming through now too. What is it that you say to yourself when you look in the mirror or when you put your climbing clothes on? And would you say that to your daughter or to your son? And there's no way yeah. they would. You know, most people are looking in the mirror or that how they're feeling about themselves often is, I feel heavy, I feel like shit, I look terrible. Um, you know, they don't want to look in the mirror. And so if you think about, and I've been trying to think about this in a way to explain it to people in better. And if you think about units of mental energy, so if we think we have a hundred units of mental energy for each day, and if you're using up 20 of those talking to yourself in this really terrible way. So, you know, you go downstairs to pull onto the hangboard and you're like, yeah, oh, well, I'm not as strong as these other people. Like, is there even any point? And I guess I'll do my session and, but, you know, I'm probably not going to get much stronger. You kind of got that, that subconscious dialogue going on. You're trying to buffer that the whole time. And that's 20 units of energy that you could be approaching your session with feeling lighter and thinking, oh, cool, hangboard session, right. Ah, I'm going to clean the hold now. This feels good. Oh, yeah, that feels better. Maybe I can top up the wave a little bit more. Or maybe I'll take some weight off. And you've just got that your perception of effort is going to be a bit lower, a few more positive. And your ability to step it up or make adjustments so that session counts more is going to be more positive. And you're just going to feel better for the rest of the day. So, I mean, I think even starting your sessions with thinking about what three wins were that you had from your last session or from the last time you went climbing and, you know, thinking about your dream project that you've got that you want to do and why or a cool thing that happened on the trip so that you can try and carry that feeling into the session and tap into that makes I don't know even if it makes five percent difference to your session that's going to be five percent difference over an entire year of training is massive yeah I I think that that's I think that's a brilliant way of looking at it um and especially reminding people that there is a limited focus um a limited amount of energy that you've got I I love the ultra marathon runner saying that said um they say whether it's going well or it's going terribly, things are going to change, right? And so, and and it's so true in our training and it's so easy to get like wrapped up in our poor little, like, oh man, I'm not sending my project. But I think just this, you know, trying to cultivate a sense of gratitude that you are able to get out there and spend the day at the crag or that you have the, a lifestyle that allows you to have a, a board in your basement you know, uh, that you have a basement, you know, it's so, it's so awesome. And, and so I think that a lot of times it's perspective and, and usually when people just can't get past all of the negative stuff that's happening to them, there's, there's a good chance that there's a sense of entitlement behind that, that says, 
you know, I deserve all of these things. And, you know, you know, why, you know, I have, I've worked so hard. I've trained my whole life. Why am I not climbing better? Well, like you're, you're so lucky, you know, it's, it's a lucky that we get to do this at all. And so I think trying to, you know, cultivate that gratitude is really important for, for climbers because man, it's, it is a great life. And, uh, you know, being able to fly across the world to go, you know, try to climb up a cliff in, in Europe. I mean, it's ridiculously, uh, I mean, decadent. it is so crazy what we do <laughs> and it is incredibly decadent and it's, it's such a privilege. And so I think that, um, usually that, that sense of envy or comparison is, is really damaging for people and to the tone that you're like, okay, you know, I, I have envy for this person, but would I want this person's life? Would I want to be, you know, this person? Yeah, great examples are former president, Donald Trump. I mean, the guy's wealthy, right? But he's like, God, would you like to be that fat fuck? No way. Right. <laughs> like, I would, I, no, seriously. I mean, like he's got all this power. He has all these people that like kneel to him. But like, I'm like, man, how many pull-ups can that guy do? Zero. <laughs> but what can he climb? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I know. Yes, seriously. Anyway, so I think it's really important that when you start envying or you're starting to admire people, like take the whole thing. Like, you know, you're like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool to just be a sponsored climber and be jetting around Europe and whatever? Well, yeah, but you know, they, you're probably being pressured by your sponsors to compete in the World Cup. You know, you probably have to endorse a product that you really don't believe in. You know, you probably would like to stay home for you know, three, four months and work on projects, but you can't because you've got to stay on the road and Jesus, you got to be on Instagram all the time. You know, like <laughs> I, I wouldn't want that life. I, I, you know, as much as I love climbing, I'd way rather like not be like constantly in the hamster wheel of trying to, you know, earn my, earn my free shoes, you know? And mm -hmm. so that's, it's a really important for people to take that perspective and say like, okay, you know, there's a ton of things that you have that these people don't have, and there are things that you really value. And so I, I think, think also that, that being, whole thing is important. Being really clear about what it is. I think, you know, doing that thing that we've talked about on podcasts before, it's like, you know, what are your audacious five-year goals for your climbing and your training? And then, and what are your one-year goals that work to it? Because it stops you getting distracted and doing that, looking mm -hmm. over the fence all the time. You know, you're on Instagram, you're like, oh, they did that problem. Maybe I should go to Rocklands instead of planning to go climbing in Spain. Oh, now they're back in the Grampians. Oh, maybe we should go to the Grampians instead of Arapiles. You know, if you've got a bit yeah. of a plan and it's a really congruent plan for the routes that you want to do for a reason that lights you up, it's not someone else's route they want to do. It's like you saw that route, you thought it looked really cool, even though 10 other people have told you that it's not a good one. It's something that about it that sinks its teeth into you and yeah. you get really, you take some time at the start of each year and then in the middle of each year to really get clear on those, on those things. Oops. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful thing to do. I, I, you're, you're right. And, and having some kind of long-term vision and, and also understanding that it takes that long is, is really critical. Like if you say, you know, I, I, I want to do all of these climbs and all of this training and I want to develop to this level, you know, there's a reason that a 12 week training program takes 12 weeks. You know, mm -hmm. it's because that development takes that long, but so many people are like session two, why am I not the strongest I've ever been? And, um, <laughs> We've seen so, a bunch so of people do that recently. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really fascinating. 
there's, you know, there's so much great advice. Uh, going back to the Clipping Chains podcast, he, he, you know, he does, he has great financial advice, but so many of us are like, oh man, I just want to go gamble and I'm going to win a ton of money and I'm going to be a millionaire, you know, <laughs> but it's really interesting um, because that, that long-term attitude toward creating wealth, like creating a, you know, good savings and retiring also teaches you all the good habits that keep you wealthy. If you, somebody just gives you a million dollars, most people just end up like getting rid of it. You know, they, they blow it quickly. There's a really fascinating study and you guys have probably seen it where they compare the happiness um, after, I can't remember what it is, like two years. Uh, they compare people that won a lottery versus people that had a limb amputated and their reported happiness after the, that time period is the same, meaning that the people that lost their leg aren't all that much less happy than they were before they lost their leg. And the people that won the lottery are no happier than when they, before they won the lottery. And mm -hmm. so I think it's, I think that's an important thing, like building the long-term habit and training and earning those grades and, you know, not just like wishing you were all of a sudden climbing the best in the world. Um, it really, it's all the work that gets you there that, that, that matters. It's not, it's not the, the arrival. You guys have felt that like you do your project and you're like, God oh, damn, I was really enjoying having that project. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, and it's funny cause we've talked about being process oriented or goal oriented and I, mean, I think you've got to love the process. Sure. You can be goal oriented, but I think if you don't like the process of projecting or or it doesn't have to be projecting on siding training climbing you know all the different bits mm -hmm. and all you want is the tick all the time then yeah it's a it's a hard sport it's an interesting rabbit hole to then find yourself falling down too if you're just chasing those goals because you end up creating this like really wobbly tower that you sat upon and and it's a it's a very fragile thing to be there because you know you, you're just chasing the next the next thing that kind of suits you. And if you're making it harder, it's got to suit you even more. And suddenly those deficiencies in other areas are becoming, you know, much bigger. And suddenly, you know, if it all just, yeah, becomes a very precarious situation. Well, and I think you're, you're right. And to the point, Tom, that people start to seek out only climbing that suits them. And to the point that they you know, you get to where there may be only one or two climbing areas in the world that you will enjoy climbing because the routes suit you and maybe the grades are soft, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so I think, I think that's a really important thing. Like, am I trying to, am I trying to receive feedback that I'm great or am I trying to become a better climber? And those things are, are sometimes at odds. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's really wonderful when you get the beat down on something that's at a grade that should be somewhat modest for you, um, because that's a real learning learning opportunity, and I, and the I, best the best people develop the most when they're failing, right? I, I think that's something that has had one of the bigger impacts on my climbing in the last couple of years, and just my life in general is just learning to become less certain of my own opinion. Like still having an opinion and still being, uh, you know, believing in, in myself and, and my view on the world, but being more open to hearing what other people have to say and, and to, to being okay with 
learning something new that changes fundamentally the way that I, I approach things and, and view things differently. And it's, it's so awesome to, to have that openness. It's hard to cultivate that, isn't it? Because I, 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 I don't think we can learn what we think we already know. And so that's, it's so wonderful to like, to have you frame it that way, because it's, it is so easy to go to like, look at something, you know, new information, go, oh, that's stupid. You know, that's dumb. Don't need that, whatever. And then we end up only looking for that information that totally agrees with what we've, what our, we've already decided, you know, that we've already prejudiced ourselves toward. And that's, that's it. That doesn't help us grow at all. And so I think that's a really, really mature attitude. I think that's a pretty good segue actually into um, talking a bit about your new book, um, Metal, as well. Metal as in M-E-T-T-L-E, not as in um, a precious metal, although it's going to be a good book. (laughs) I reckon it's gold in there. (laughs) Because, um, I mean, I'll get you to explain, you know, the premise for the book, but it really is, I'm guessing, capturing a collection of of training ideas and thoughts around climbing and training across a, a, a lot of years. Yeah. So I've written a couple of other training books um, over the years and generally they're aimed at following a program or trying to develop a specific set of skills. Uh, you know, let's use this workout to get your fingers stronger. But but the philosophical part of training and having the right mindset and all of that is this overarching theme in, in most of what I do. And so with metal, I took a collection of articles that I've written over the past, you know, maybe tw- oh, 15 to 20 years. Um, and some of the, the newsletters and then some of the essays I've written on, on just these general lessons, like, you know, for example, like, you know, showing up is, is essential, like continuing to go and, you know, like if you just show up at the crack and climb whatever you can three days a week, you're going to get good you know, and it's, and it's not going to take very long, but if you just are always at home thinking about getting started and I might get going this month and, you know, nothing ever happens. And so I I came up with a a series of lessons that I had learned in my climbing. Um, I went back and looked at the most, um, interesting and, uh, relevant articles that, that we've had on the site. I, you know, there's, we've got hundreds of, of training articles on the Climbstrong site and I've written a bunch for magazines and things. And so I took like 20 and I was like, okay, these are the best ones. Um, and I, I also did that with, with some of the newsletter, um, uh, leads that we put together. And so I kind of mushed them all together and it turned out to be quite a, a lot. I think it's about 400 pages. Um, and, I, I really did think that it was going to be easy. I thought, oh, we'll just, you know, quickly like assemble those all into a document and send them off to the printer. Well, you know, you end up reading it all and editing it and thinking about it and wondering what you should include or not include. And then, um, then you know, it took quite a, quite some time. And and I actually finished it last October, but with supply chain issues. Um, the book sat at the printer for, for six months. And so it's been, wow. it's been, I'm really psyched to have it now because it just has been so long since we've been, you know, I've been ready for it, you know? So I'm, I'm excited to have it out. Was it, what was it like going back and reading some of those articles? Cause I imagine, you know, it's the first time the, 
the document's kind of been dusted off in, in 20 right. years or something. Like, what's it like going back and looking inside the mind of Steve Bechtel circa 2000? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because the the principles are all consistent. Um, and, and really, I think that those are these, these are, those are the important things that we can always come back to. And we can say, you know, overload is really important. Recovery is really important. Um, you know, uh, progression is very important. And then the methods, um, change quite a lot over the years. And especially as we get new tools and exciting new ways to address things, you know, like the, the, um, blocks and, and, uh, you know, tools that we can use to pick up weight with, um, you know, they didn't exist back then, uh, you know, fixed board, like a moon board, we didn't have those and they would have been amazing, you know, to have 20 years ago. Um, but, um, and so that's, some of that's changed slightly. Um, we used to train a lot on systems boards and, and those just aren't used as much anymore. I don't think they're as useful as we had hoped they'd be. Um, but, but really I, I was, I was psyched. I love going back and going like, Oh, okay. That was, that was pretty good. There, there is a fair amount where you're like, well, we didn't quite have that figured out at the time. Um, a lot of, I, I think, strength we we were intuitively pretty smart on. Um, we we understood the principles of strength um, early on, and so I was able to to bring those into into early um, early articles. But endurance was is a different beast, and and I think that we've generally not optimize that in in climbing training until fairly recently to where we start are starting to understand these these um diverging ways of developing endurance between you know capacity and system power and you know like you know what what's the continuum between a long boulder problem and a power endurance route and an endurance route and you know then what does it mean when I'm trying to build stamina for an entire day and how do all of those things mix together. And, and so some of the early, early articles there were a little bit like simplistic, you know, and, and really like endurance training forever was just like, here's a really great way to get tired quick. Right. And, and we're starting <laughs> to learn that that's not the best way to get ourselves at not getting tired at all. What what were those um, some of those protocols that were being touted as the the big ones back then? Like, what does that look yeah. like? Well, the the classic one is yeah, the, the Boulder four by four was really great, but it was like if that was four Boulder problems, you did um, kind of around your flash level or on site level, you do four Boulder problems back to back. So maybe I I would do you know V five V six V five V six or something, then rest. For a period of maybe five minutes, then do them again, and I would do that, mm. do them four times for a total of sixteen problems, and it's ridiculously fatiguing. But it doesn't really apply to anything that we do in sport. Um, we've started to learn that endurance is very specific, and so um, more along the lines of what what you put forth in your homeboard endurance video recently on YouTube um, of linking together hard movement and, you know, getting longer and longer durations of hard, um, hard movement into one set is, is way more effective than just doing repeated hard boulder problems in, yeah, in fitness. Rather, oh yeah. Do you ahead. mean rather than that, like kind of time on time off, like micro rest sort of thing? 
Yeah, you just don't get micro rests on on the wall. And here's the the nature of of endurance in in climbing is not the same as cardiorespiratory endurance in sport. If I'm riding a bicycle, I can breathe fully. Um, I've got this regular cadence. The blood is flowing through my body. What what climbing is defined as endurance wise is, you know a high intensity um, muscular sport where you, you're flexing much of the muscle in your body at any given time. And so the limiter in endurance can very often be just delivery of blood through the system because I'm clamping down on all these muscles and the blood isn't moving. Well, it doesn't matter how good my cardiorespiratory system is, my ability to bring oxygen into my lungs, um, if the blood can't get through my muscles. And so a lot of climbing is, you know, like getting on your wall down in your basement and climbing and trying to learn to relax and breathe and take a moment and let most of my muscle relax so I can get more blood to push through it. And then teaching the muscles to uptake the, the um, energy from the blood and then utilize it. And so it's a, it's a lot different than the sports we tried to model it off of early on. And, you know, the four by four is classically entered up it, um, modeled on interval training. Um, and although it's good and it is fatiguing, there's a lot of stuff that we can do that's fatiguing that has nothing to do with making us better at climbing, right? I can just stay up all night. Yeah. Like if I stay up and I don't sleep for 40 hours, I'm going to be very fatigued, but it doesn't make (laughs) me better at sport. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I I find that really interesting. The, the evolution of knowledge and ideas through 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 all of the climbing and the approaches that we've all had and the things that people would have like hung their hat on and said yep this is this is the thing and then not too many years later it, it it's not which i think comes kind yeah. of back to that openness where it's like yeah it's okay to be really uh, <laughs> to believe in the process that you're currently on but to be open to the fact that it may not be the definitive final answer. Yeah. Oh, and to even be excited that that it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's a, a, it's a great way to, to have it. I think all those climbers doing four by fours though, are going to switch the podcast off at this point. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, and so that's, that's an interesting point though, Amanda, (laughs) is that, that it's not that that's wrong, but that the, the method or the goal is needs to be very clear your goal is not to try to get as fatigued as possible, as quickly as possible, because that's exactly the opposite of how you try to perform in the performance environment. Could you imagine going to Elphinstone and going like, okay, I just want to get as tired as possible right now. Like you would have the worst (laughs) climbing day ever. Yeah. (laughs) And so what, what I think people need to do when they approach a four by four style workout is what is the goal of endurance training. My goal in endurance training is to become good at fatigue management. It is to be able to do as much hard climbing as possible in a state of low fatigue, instead of what we tried to do with four by fours back in the 1990s, which was just to get wrecked and be as tired as possible. Um, I, I tend to, I tend to be critical of, of, uh, fitness programs like CrossFit because they, they go for the same goal. 
the, the CrossFit, the goal of a CrossFit workout and the thing that people will hang their hat on and say, that was a good workout is how tired I am from it or how sore I am from it, not by how much it improves my performance. Mm. Like if I could, if I could improve my climbing stamina by 20% by doing a bunch of jump roping and, and barbell mm. snatches, I would do it. But I know that that doesn't work. And so if I'm just chasing being generally fatigued and feeling terrible, um, that's a, it's a fine exercise program. But if I'm looking for high performance in sport, it is not. I think that's probably a pretty good, um, little tip actually for the start of your sessions is to think about how do I need to feel when I've finished this session? Because, um, I mean, I did a limit boulder session recently and I kept wondering, I caught myself two thirds of the way through the session thinking this isn't working. My forearms feel okay. I'm not fatigued. Like I'm not wrecked, but you're not meant to feel wrecked in a limit boulder session, because if you're wrecked, then you're not, you're not training power, you know, you're not doing your couple of moves. And when I left, it's that weird feeling of just power down, but my forearms weren't pumped. You know, I, I could, I mean, I had slightly sore skin, but it wasn't that can't change gears because your arms are so pumped feeling that, that you kind of connect with as a climber for feeling like you've had a successful day at the cliff or a successful session. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good tool. I I think it's important for, for climbers to remember, like, I I love to take people back to their Mm. best ever send, like your favorite, you know, most important route to you. Like very rarely do you get to the anchor of that route, clip of the chains and go like, man, I'm still not that tired. It must not have been that great a climb. You're just like <laughs> psyched because you were able to perform at this really high level. You, it's not a bad day. You had a high performance. And so what we want to do when we're doing energy system development is to try to create that situation. And yes, we're overloading the, the athlete, but what's most important is that fitness is the result of what you did in the session, not how it felt. And you guys have both experienced this where you continually progressed through your sessions, but session two, even though much harder than session one, wasn't as fatiguing and you weren't sore from it. Session three, session four, session five, session six, you may not even be sore or fatigued at all, but if you look at the performance metrics compared to those original one or two sessions, it's it's way, way better. And what we're really wanting to make sure of with your training is that those performance metrics keep growing and keep improving. And I don't care how you feel afterward. Um, if you're tired, okay, that's a, that's a side, um, you know, side effect of the training. It's not the goal of the training. Can everyone stop, hit the rewind button and listen to that last 30 seconds again and again <laughs> and again, that, that was perfect. On the on the other end of the spectrum, I'd like to just ask about um, that no hangs Emil Abrahamson or whatever his name is. Um, can you explain what that is? Because there's like there's so much overload in training to get yeah. stronger muscles, and then suddenly, you know, I heard about it, and this a friend was saying. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to do anything and you get way stronger. And and I just was like, how does that work? This totally upends sports science as we know it for the last hundred years. Like, 
So first off, what I think is really cool is that Emil is an elite level climber, which, which is important because if you, if you had a novice that got like way stronger, you'd be, you know, like almost anything could get them stronger. Mm. Um, for very unfit individuals, they've shown research that walking on a treadmill can increase their upper body strength. Um, and, and, you know, of course for you, that's not going to work, but when you look at that science, lots of people get duped by that and they go, Oh, wow, maybe I should just walk on a treadmill for stronger arms. Okay. What's really important about Emil's self, uh, study is that he is a extremely good climber and he went in and he, he heard about a study that was talking about the remodeling or the strengthening of tendons in rehab in a physical therapy setting. And the important part of remodeling these tendons was regular overload of those tendons. But the, they, what they understood was that the overload didn't have to be that high. And I think in the study, they were maybe rehabbing lower limb, like knees or hips or something. Um, but I, but I have to, you know, like full disclosure, I don't, I haven't read that actual physical therapy study. Um, but what, what they are finding is that this regular overload of the tendon structure didn't have to be near your muscular strength max in order to improve tendon strength and stiffness. And so what's really cool there is that if you haven't maximized that, if you haven't got those nice, strong, thick tendons yet, this is a great way to do it. What happens usually is we do too high a volume um, for for tendon growth mm -hmm. because we're um, we're trying to increase. You're trying to feel it in our muscles, so we're trying to go really, really hard. But then we have to rest a very long time. And what they were finding is those tendons responded better to lower intensity, more frequent overloads. And so it's important also to understand that some other climbers have tried it out and not seen the same good results. And so I think the individual results will vary um, tremendously, but it's a great lesson in the way that we attain isometric finger strength in that it's a combination of muscular strength and tendon development and probably just getting those overloads on certain hand positions can be really useful for some climbers. It's not like the new be all end all of training, but I think it's worth every single climber trying it at some point. Emil's protocol was um, basically 10 minutes of, of hangboarding. It's like 10 seconds on 50 seconds off for 10 minutes twice a day. And he was using sub um, you know, sub body weight loading, he would barely pull himself up off the ground. And so it's really cool. It's quite easy, but even still that might be too much overload for some people's fingers and joints, um, at that frequency, if we haven't, if we're not used to it. And so even trying something like super low loads daily for a month or something, it's worth experimenting with. But I, I actually tried doing that at one point daily loading just at body weight. And it turned out to be too much. My fingers got really sore. Um, and so I think it's, it's critical to see that the low loading is really important and that, you know, the adaptation here is, is a tendon adaptation rather than a muscular adaptation. Yeah. What, what do you think would be the reasons why like Emil saw a, an enormous improvement in his 
you know, relative finger strength and why someone wouldn't see that same result. Yeah, my suspicion is that he hadn't trained those, especially those, his, it seems like, I'd have to look back, but it seemed like his best results were on small holds, like small crimps and things. Mm-hmm. And so my suspicion is that he maybe hadn't um, really trained those specific positions much. Um, mm-hmm. And and maybe, you know, like, and we're talking like, maybe he's good on a 12 mil um, edge, but like a six mil, he hadn't really trained. He hadn't really looked at that. And so, but I, I don't know. I don't know why that is. Yeah. I think that it can also be individual variants. Um, you know, we see that with, with uh, training. We see it with nutrition all the time where some people will thrive on a very high protein diet. Some people can thrive on a much lower protein diet. Both of them are successful, but they're, the individual things are, are really still beyond our understanding. And so some people can, can really acquire great strength, um, you know, in, in different ways. I think also it's interesting because if I, we've had such a wet um, summer here, we've ended up say having a minimum of three indoor sessions a week. And because the moon board's been such a big part of it, um, I've, I'd have my normal warm up and then do say 10 problems that are you know, progressive to warm up. And then I would do three 10 second hangs on three different groups um, at just body weight, two arm hangs. And I'd do um, four finger half crimp or whatever t- terminology you want to use for that one. Um, and then a three finger sort of sloper drag and then full crimp. And it's not often, it'll be on a route that I'll ball it up into a full crimp. And then on the moon yep. board tend to be more in a chiseled or half crimp most of the time, maybe I'll put my thumb on sometimes. But I think I saw um, a robustness in my fingers and maybe an increase in strength that was more significant because of the regularity of it. And yeah. um, and probably because in yeah my hang sessions, I don't know, there's something different to doing, you know, repeaters or a, a max hang session. It's just, it just yeah. blended into the session well better. And maybe also because then, you've got more faith in your fingers. And so then you pull harder in your sessions, you know, so, so what yeah. is it that what came first, the chicken or the egg? I think that's, I think it's, I think it's indicative of the fact that you can gain strength at submaximal loads. So many of us get to this point where we're adding a little more load and a little more load. And I'm, I'm trying to do this slightly harder, progressive um, strengthening but strength comes along more slowly. And so even if I'm not just pushing against my max, like training at 95 to 100% of my finger strength, um, if I can train at 90% and do it a little bit longer, I'll probably see better gains. But, but my, my go for it, hard driving, super climber mentality is like, oh, I can add five more kilos, you know, and just keep going and going and going. And, and I think that that's where we end up like, overstressing the system to the point that you, you have to either stop the training cycle or you get injured. Um, and if we can pull back on that, um, I think that, I think people will see really good results. And so I, I suspect that only, well, here's the thing. I, I suspect climbers that are injured right now um, might go, Hey, maybe I'll try that ML hangboard program because they can't really do anything else. But people that are strong and healthy right now are like, no way, man, that's, it's not for me. 
Um, but here's a, here's a really interesting thing. Um, we had um, the, the woman that works at our facility that is in charge of our memberships is a woman named Shelby, and she's very strong. And so she was, um, I'm going to see if I can do this in kilos. Um, she was stuck. She was bench pressing, bench press weight, weight training. And she was stuck at about uh, 85, 87 kilo bench press. Pretty good, huh? For, for females, yeah. it's almost <laughs> quite a strong bench press. Yeah. So 80, 85, I think it's about 85 kilos, you know, right around 200 pounds. Um, and she, you know, we tried many different strength protocols. We were doing, um, you know, sets of five, sets of three, isometrics, doing block, uh, block bench press, all of the powerlifting tricks. Um, and then she just was getting nowhere and she kept hitting the same number. And so as a deload, we programmed six weeks of working at 75% of that load. So we took her down to 150 pounds, which is probably like 60 kilos, 65 kilos. And she would do two reps, then um, do some other exercises. Then she would do four reps and then she'd do some other exercises. Then she'd do six reps and then she'd do two, four, six. And she worked her way through a, an increasing volume of reps per workout at that same load, at that 75% load, at, down at the 60 or 65 kilos, which is very easy for her. She could easily do six reps of it, but it was around 75% of her maximum strength. For six weeks, we had her slowly progress two to three days a week, more and more repetitions per workout, but no increase in load. After six weeks, we had her go back and, and try to max out. And she maxed out at 100 kilos at 220 pounds. Wow. And so she, wow. increased her, she increased her strength by 10%, um, mm. which is unbelievable. It's really an amazing leap forward. But she was able to build plenty of volume with that, was able to avoid injury and build up tremendous number of repetitions there. And so I think that's one of the lessons of ML's hangboard program is if we can do it more, if we can have more exposure at a slightly lower level, we, we might have better um, strength gains than if we're constantly pushing that 90 to 95%. It's funny because yeah. you do see that in training a lot. I mean, you know, wide pull-ups with your feet in a band so that you can get 10, three sets of 10 of them compared with struggling through one or two. You know, it makes kind yeah. of logical sense when you look at it from that point of view or when we're using the TRX straps or rings and you're just progressing the angle of your body down for your I's, Y's and T's, that kind of thing. You know, we're quite happy to to take the load back a bit with those things. But when it comes to hangs, people are like, no, I just want to add as much as I can and I want to chuck yeah. on weight. So, yeah. Well, it's a um, similar thing. I've I think it's. Oh, go ahead. I think we're about to say the same thing, Tom. Oh, I was going to say, like, I think it's a similar thing when you get to to the outdoors thing. And um, this is another chat I was having with Lee in the car yesterday about like the the red point mentality and everyone always going for the next red point, the next red point, the next red point, and like really getting into the grind of like pushing through, pushing through, but not having the base behind them and it's like I, I don't want to sound like a broken record but just that um just putting in the reps at the crag and at, at, 
you know, a, a reasonable enough level for it to be, um, you know, loading in some way, not just doing yeah. like the dirty old man laps on you know, yeah. stuff that you can just do with your eyes closed. But yeah, like, it, and it, it's building all of the skills and the, the techniques and that physical ability to just make it happen rather than just going for the next hard PB. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think you see people like that, that are, you know, they've gotten one a day done, right. And it took them all season, took them all year. So basically all they did was warm up and try this a day. And then maybe they pulled it off, which is the worst thing that could possibly happen to them because then next year they're going to try an a day plus, right. And they're going to waste a whole season on that. And the, yes, they're inspired. Yes, it's challenging for them. Yes, it's a miracle that they sent it. But if they were approaching it with a little bit more of exactly what you're talking about, spending more time in that second tier, which is like two to three grades below your limit, um, the, you get you build a tremendous amount of skill there. You build a tremendous amount of conditioning there. It's hard enough that you really have to try might take you two or three days to send those routes, but you're going to send. And so if you look at these elites, um, you'll see that they're a tremendous number. Like if you look at Stefano Gasolfi, Adamandra, if you look at their, uh, the, the route of the route list, you know, there's, there's a ton of like, you know, like, yeah, they've got nine, nine, you know, some nine B's and stuff, but a ton of nine A's and then like, you know, 38 C pluses or something they've done this year, you know? And so, it's, it's really important to spend time on hard, but not impossible climbing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's such a, a massive, massive thing that the benefits of all of that. And, and I think that people get, you know, they worry about like, how do I fit all this in? What do I, you know, I need to do all of these things. I'm trying to mush all of the training in and all the climbing stuff, but I think, you know, even going between your very hard limit level project and then every other day going and doing things that, you know, are, are in this second tier, the next level down. And so if I'm trying to climb a day and that's my, my goal for the year, I'm spending a, a, you know, half of my days climbing on like seven B plus seven C really going to be useful to me. And I'll probably end up sending that a day faster than if I just concentrated on that one route. Yeah, that that was um again yesterday I should have just had the microphone on all day with Lee. We were talking about um with that red pointing and just how much weaker we can get from just red pointing and trying to red point and not being like, okay, cool. I, yeah, I could get lucky tomorrow and I could red point or I could get lucky on the weekend. So I'm not gonna train this week and give myself every possible yeah. opportunity to be able to do my absolute best. And it's like, no, let's just take a step back for a moment. We're going to train. We're going to readjust the goal for the weekend. And it's not going to be a red point, even though maybe it could maybe, maybe just go. We're going to take a step back and go, I'm, I'm going to train well. And my goal for this weekend is going to be uh, to, to do a one hang or to do the crux three times mm -hmm. or to, you know, to be able to do that other uh route that is two grades underneath my warm-up project kind of warm-up red point project and then have a decent one or two burns on the project you know the big one yeah 
Well, we, we approach climbing with a tremendous sense of entitlement. Like I'm just going to wait and wait and wait till I till my performance is optimized. But if you were a pro athlete, if you're on the world cup and trying to compete in every competition, you don't get to like wait until the finals to be really good. You've got to be good at the first work, you know, the first comp, or you're not going to keep going to the, you know, to the, um, finals. If you're, uh, you know, again, going back to the NBA, the basketball, they play like 108 games a year. It's not like you're just going to wait until the national championships to, to be fit. You have to be out there and really performing. And so I think climbers are afraid of not peaking. You know, they want to be like, get up to have this really awesome one time a year um, experience because they've had that. But I'd way rather send all month long for eight months a year and send lots and lots of things, even if they're slightly easier, because that's going to lead me to higher performances the next year and the year after that and the year after that. And, and one, one hard red point a year is it ends up taking you the other direction. Yeah. And I think also, you know, watching Tom training for the Olympics, I think we've talked about this at different times, you know, there's training to be a high level climber and then there's training for the Olympics. And it's not for the faint hearted or for the faint skin. Yeah. And, you know, there wasn't this weekend, for example, for me, I'm thinking oh, I'm going to climb on Monday. I'll skip a training session on Saturday because I'll try and be fresh for Monday. It's the first time I've had that mentality for a long time. I have to say that um, most of the time I'm thinking you've just got to keep doing your sessions. And if you're a bit cooked at the cliff, you're just a bit cooked at the cliff and your body adapts to it. But I think that um, trying to trying to have your rhythm with your training and climbing and just getting things done and not being too married to feeling super fresh every time you pull on is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's room for that occasionally, but it shouldn't be the way that you address your climbing, you know, year round. And, and I think it's important to just like, that's part of that self-reflection we talked about earlier. Like, am I actually putting numbers on the board? Am I sending routes? Um, you know, red pointing is, is a skill as much as, as anything, like it's, it's not a, a result of endurance. It's not a result of strength. It's a result of the amalgamation of all your preparations. And if you're not red pointing, um, you're, you know, you're not really doing the sport. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's important for, for people to go, Oh, wait a minute. I'm really not, um, I'm not really getting anything done performance wise here. And, it's the, you know, it's fine. If you just love the training, that's great. But don't don't claim that you're doing it for the sake of performance on the rock. Is there anything else that you feel passionate about talking about? Um, let me see. I don't know. There's always something coming up. I yeah, know. It, <laughs> yeah. There'll be a million things. We'll just book you in for our monthly podcasts. One, one of the things that I'm, I am really, um, I I'm excited about seeing is the development of, um, each generation as they come on, um, because of the precedent that has been set by the generation immediately previous to them. Um, and one of the really cool things now is the, the huge number of climbers that are climbing V15 and harder, and then how this generation of young climbers coming out, you know, there's so many 17, 18, 19 year olds that are just like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll climb V15 too. And, mm -hmm. and it's really amazing to see that. And we, we, we have our, our heroes in any era and we're like, Oh yeah, man, like 
Adam Andra is awesome and Alex Magos is awesome. Well, you know, 10 years from now, there's going to be a dozen people that are that good. And there's going to be a couple other people that are even better. And that's, that's super exciting to see. And so all of the stuff we're learning and all the training that we're doing is contributing to that. And it's also just this reminder that whatever limits that we've set upon ourselves currently because of the society that we grew up in really aren't those limits. We just have to learn to let go of those things and say like, oh man, that's not all that hard. Um, when I, oh, when, when I started climbing, uh, the hardest climb in, in the USA was um, AB plus. And so you can imagine how big a barrier a person would put between himself and that grade. It's the hardest climb there is. I could never climb that because I'm just an average dude. And so if we can continue to try to break those things down, we can move with that next generation. Otherwise, we just have to be super entertained by watching how awesome they are. I think that's such an interesting one, Steve, and it's something, you know, because I started climbing in 1995. Um, and, yeah, you know, the, the level was different then, obviously. And having to readjust my, um, like I try and be an open thinker and as expansive as I can, um, but you still find yourself getting caught. And I mean, I think social media is such an amazing tool um, to help with this if you can use it to your benefit because, you know, you can have um, a bunch of, for me, a bunch of women that, um, that I follow and you're like, oh, they just went on a trip and they just did three V8s in one day. And, you know, back yeah. when I was watching Lisa Rands, you know, that, yeah, that, that was sort of, that would have been someone's goal for maybe, <laughs> you know, a big picture goal, not like, yeah. you know, some, some person from Australia just doing that in a couple of days. So, and, and to all the people that I hear at the cliff talking about their age and about the up and coming people, to me, often it sounds like limiting beliefs they're putting on themselves. And I find myself mm -hmm. um, finding it quite abrasive to listen to because we don't know what the human body is really that capable of. Because if right. you think about my grandparents came through war and depression, they didn't live in a time where we were trying to be awesome athletes because we live in Australia or the States where we have these amazing lives and good diets and know heaps about physical training. And we also know a heap more about mental health and how to prepare for things. So I think it's, like you said, really important to try and keep up with the generations coming through, particularly from your approach, because then you reset yourself. And instead of having your, you know, your ultra goal of climbing AB plus, you go, oh, well, maybe, maybe AB plus is actually not as bad as I thought it was. And how many of them have I actually been on? AB plus man 32 yeah. for those playing at home. Yeah. And, you know, maybe uh, how many 32s have I been on? Hmm, maybe I've only been on one. Maybe there are actually some that I would be much closer to than I thought if I actually got on them. And instead of thinking that I'm an 8A climber or, you know, 29 or a 28 climber or, you know, your V grades are lower than you think, for example. I'm really excited as well to see the, the climbers that, you know, we all looked up to, well, you know, for me looking up to like um, Chris Sharma, Dave Graham, that kind of generation and, and watching them get older and continue to be really good top end mm -hmm. climbers. Like Chris Sharma on side at 33 the other day, Dave Graham just yeah. did V15 again. 
like and, and yep. we look at you know dave mcleod still getting stronger and better and bouldering hard you know steve mcclure yep. like there's these older athletes that are getting into their 40s and 50s that are continuing to be up there at that level and i think that's so exciting to see that continuous progression it's like you were talking about before steve where your your, um strength is starting to maybe diminish from what it was at you know peak testosterone levels Mm -hmm. but there's so many skills to to learn and techniques and new bits of equipment and all of these different things that we can exploit to get the best out of ourselves and to, to bring it back to keeping that open mindset and keeping, um, you know, your progression of ideas continuing. Yeah. I think that's yeah, so, and, and, so and cool. just Yeah. Just like you said before, like being, you know, like not only like being open to these new ideas, but like, I love like, learning about a new possible way of training that I haven't explored yet because that's like, Oh man, the possibilities like this might actually help me where if I just keep banging against the stuff I've, I've already done, um, I'm probably not going to progress all that much. And so that's, it's super exciting to, to watch, you know, like these, you know, many, many minds at work, like maybe we can get better this way. Um, you know, for example, the, um, normally in, in our climbing, we'll like warm up and then we'll just give, our project many burns throughout a day. Like I'm going to try it four times and then we're going home. Um, there are a lot of climbers now that'll warm up, they'll do a project. Then they go and they do a very, very easy climb. And then they go back to their project and then they go and they do a very easy climb. And they, they put these easy climbs in between in order to keep the blood flowing, move waste products out, um, keep themselves warm and loose, but let themselves have long enough time between hard burns. And I'm like, Whoa, I never thought of that. That's a good idea. Mm. Right. And so, you know, it's all this really cool, exciting new stuff. So yeah, fun to see. I'm going to try that when the rain stops. It's a great (laughs) idea and makes perfect sense. Yeah. Just being able to stay warm. I mean, like, like why wouldn't, uh, you know, somebody that's a, a track runner, you know, go jog between races, you know, of course they would. Right. And so, being able to stay loose yeah. and warm and, and yeah, but I, you know, I'm just like, you know, get stuck in your ways and you're like, Oh gosh, we've never tried that. So yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. That'll be the next book. Next book, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. E- easy. You between and I can the write hard, the right? aging. Yeah, yeah. Easy between the heart yeah. and, um, and the aging climber by Steve Bechtel and Amanda Watts. Yeah. And for people that are looking for individual coaching, they can go to the climb strong website. And I know you and I were talking about um, the websites getting a bit of an, uh, um, do over soon. So, um, yeah, they can, they just look for coaching on the website. Yeah. There's a coaching tab at the top and our actual, our coaching site is climbstrongcoach.com. Um, and, and it's a great group of people. I real I'm really honored to work with. Uh, I've got, I think we have 13 coaches on our team now and some really brilliant minds. And it's been, it's been so amazing for me to be associated with this group of people because the, the learning, um, is, is really fascinating because I've always been into like reading articles and, and studying myself. But when you have a whole group of people that are constantly educating themselves and then bringing those ideas in, it's just exponential. It's really been amazing what we've, what we've, had happened over the past year. I'm like, I'm more inspired now than I've been in, in many, many years. So it's great. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, mate. Um, hope everything's awesome over there and we, we get to speak again soon or see in the flesh or, or whatever it is. But yeah, thanks. Always I know, man, we're, we're coming on, what's it, four years now since we, I saw you in Seiyus. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's time. Got to get yeah. back over there. Um, yes, I, I appreciate you guys having me on and I, I look forward to talking to you again soon. That's the chat. Thank you so much to Steve and thank you as well for listening all the way through to the end here. I hope you got as much value out of that as I did. Listening back to it as I edited, I picked up on even more, which was just totally awesome. Again, you can grab Steve's book Metal from our website while stocks last. If they are sold out, hit me up through the website and we'll order more bulk books in. Individual postage from the US is hectic expensive. Don't do it to yourself. Also, don't forget to check out the other little products that I've uploaded in there. Uh, I think they're kind of handy and keen to hear what others have to say. Thank you, Awesome Woodies, for supporting the podcast. Remember, Baffle Days at checkout to get 15% off on their website. And thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.